This episode of Inside the Goblin Universe brought to you by Goblin Media. We bring the rabbit hole to you. My name's John Downs. I'm the founder of the Center for Fortune Zoology, and you're listening to Inside the Goblin Universe. Hello again, folks, and welcome to another edition of Inside the Goblin Universe. My name is Ronald Murphy. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Brian Bowden. I'm the other host. And I'm excited, Ron, because today we are having a guest on who I actually met on another radio broadcast, Jason Hawes uh, Beyond Reality Radio. Great, great Uh, show. I was talking about mermaids and I was talking about uh, fairies and other type of little, you know, uh, elemental creatures. And this enchanting young lady called in and I thought I need to find out more about her. And as it turns out, our next guest has become uh, a bit of a friend of mine and uh, she's an interesting person and uh, she knows a great deal about uh, the uh, the merfolk and other elemental creatures. So I think that we should, without uh, further delay, is introduce Nina Marie Camarina to the show. Sure. Nina, welcome, welcome. to Inside the Goblin Universe. Hey guys! Hey Brian! Hey Ronald! Ronald Brian! Hi! Hi! Good to talk with you guys again. <laughs> it's great to have you here. Now, is our Inside the Goblin universe a little bit drier than you're you're, you're used to, seeing that you have such an affinity uh, towards the, uh, the 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 Mer people? Mm, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> let's. Well, you know, now that I'm on the show with you with y'all. You know, right now, I'm just going to have to, you know, wing it. And, you know, maybe we can, I can answer that question later down the road. That sounds like a perfect. So, so before we get started, let's talk a little bit about Nina. Nina, yes. why mermaids? What is, what is the attraction? What is the gravity of the mermaid that takes you further, further into this watery abyss that they call home? Well, honestly, uh, let's see here. It really started when I uh, was about four years old, and the very first Disney animated film that I saw was Little Mermaid. And I loved Ariel so much. I, I just loved her personality and just the whole uh, the whole music and atmosphere of it all being underwater just about um, just intrigued me, and it just kind of grew from there. That's right. And, and before we go any further, we, we have to tell our listening audience that you actually do this for a living, correct? I mean, you, you take on the persona of uh, Ariel. Right, yeah, uh, right. Yeah, so this is legit. Right, I'm, yeah, I'm actually a, a professional model, actress, and uh, I'm an accomplished artist, too. So uh, what, whatever, you know, events that, you know, I, I'm a invited to, to act, to play as Ariel or any other... Disney character, uh, you know, be happy to. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But you've also done your homework in regards to mer people as well, too. So you're not going on in there just as playing Ariel. You know your your legends and your right. Yeah. If, things, so, yeah. Right. If anyone, yeah, if anyone comes up to me and asks me about you know uh, the the morrow from the Celtic legends, I'll discuss it with them. <laughs> so <laughs> it's interesting that you brought up the idea of, of, of those particular Celtic legends because the Mer people uh, in the vast majority of world cultures aren't very nice creatures, are they? No, they're not. No, not really. <laughs> Especially the... Uh, well, actually, there was one story that I came across not too long ago, and it was about a 
mermaid, of course. And she she was actually rescued from a sailor on shore at the time. And he uh, he puts her back in the water and uh, she's she's trying to drag him underwater, actually. And he's fighting against her and he just had enough of her and uh, got his dagger out and threatened to kill her. Uh, and she and then she stopped and then she asked him, oh gosh, uh, and then she asked him, uh, since you saved me, how you're going to have to wish for something in return for my debt. And he made three wishes and and then after that she was about to go, but then she turns around slightly and says, after nine years, you are going to have to be claimed by the sea one way or another, either by me or by the waves. And then she leaves. And after nine years, he comes back with his sons and he says to them that he has to pay repay a debt. And she reappears to the surface and she takes him. And a lot and a lot of times, depending on which version you're talking about, the the females will take human males and they will transform them into their own kind. So there's a lot of empowerment inherent within these stories, isn't there? This is, uh, you know, the mythology where women are able to take advantage of men and not only take advantage of men, but be superior to them in almost every aspect as, as well. Um, you know, the, the sea is temperamental, it's chaotic, and anything that comes from that ocean uh, is also, you know, one and the same. So mermaids, this personification of the undomestication of the ocean is seen as a very volatile figure, and that's very um, upsetting uh, to the, the male status quo. <laughs> to think, yeah, to think that to think that that a beautiful woman could come out of the ocean and kind of, uh, you know, drag you to your death if you're not careful—that's unsettling for a guy. <laughs> Just a tad bit. Just a tad bit. Well, right. you know, so you can. Think there's a, there's other legends also, though. Uh, let's see. I don't know. Uh, there there's quite a bit. It depends on the on which culture, really that you're that you're looking at uh let's see with the with the russian uh mermaids they uh if if it's mostly if there is a girl that accidentally drowns and that's the death of her and she's a human she will be reincarnated as a mermaid and same goes for uh males too Oh, right, right. Yeah, it, that, that's what I find so ma fascinating about uh, the, the world of the mermaids. I actually wrote a book a couple years ago entitled On Mermaids, which looks at, uh, at these kind of creatures from a cultural historical perspective. And every culture around the world has some notion of a mer creature, which I find very fascinating. Yes. Uh, but, you know, they mean something to us even today. Um, if you go to Starbucks, you're basically buying your coffee off of a two-tailed mermaid, which is their <laughs> symbol right now i mean so yeah. you know, to think about that it, it's prevalent uh throughout our culture it's part of our uh zeitgeist you know it's part of our our you know who we are as human beings and 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 whenever i i first initially talked to you it, it is it is 
cool to find out there's other people out there that share my affinity towards Creatures of the Sea. Uh, because whenever I first wrote this book, I thought, you know, I, I wrote it for my daughter. She's very into uh, mermaids. And I thought, you know, nobody you know wants to read a book about mermaids. So I found out that a lot of people want to read a book about mermaids because people are fascinated by these creatures. And I'm not talking about just, you know, eight-year-old girls. I'm talking about a lot of adults have, uh, you know, an endearment towards mermaids. Right, right, yeah, including me. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> yeah, you, you know, what I find very interesting is that uh, Disney had the Ariel, and that really took off. But the Oh, re- I actually, there are some, oh, I'm sorry, Brian, but no, 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 uh, there I'll... are Go ahead. some similarities. Okay, there are some similarities, though, uh, between a, uh, a lot of the Disney uh, a lot of the Disney films as opposed to myths and where uh, the authors also got uh, their inspiration from right well I, I you know the whole Ariel character is very nice and quite and cute but um, the re- Disney did two different depictions of, of uh, mermaids the Ariel mermaid and then the mermaids that are seen in the whole Pirates of the Caribbean movies, because those are the true four that's mermaids. More, yeah, that's the real that's more deal. like it. And they, right? And also, also think about it too, though. Uh, a, a, you know, someone that would be technically half human, half fish. How we've always thought of them before. Uh, their skin, the human part. Yeah. If we were in water for any length of time, after, like after a year or so, I mean, it's probably less. It's going to flake off and just, you know, slip off and everything. So they have to, and it even showed it too in, in uh, Stranger Tides, uh, how they will transform underwater. But when they hit the air, they, they're more human-like. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like when, when Ron was uh, discussing this and discussing you, because uh, I met you through Ron, and I was trying to figure out, um, you know what direction you were going to go through with this, and and where where your 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 background is on the mermaid. Um, I was I had a couple of questions, and one of them is um, how do you feel about uh, it? Was a recent report, I think this year in April, that there was a um, killer mermaid that drowned two uh, people in Zimbabwe. Do you did you hear anything about that? No, I didn't. I actually heard something uh, about. Uh, USOs and how there was there was a, these giant sort of creatures, uh, humanoid like creatures, right. and uh, kind of part mermaid, part humanoid. They were giant ones, and uh, how they're near the Antarctic, and they're called the Ninjin, and they uh, and I'm pretty convinced though I, that USOs have something to do with maybe like you know, some sort of weird hybrid, you know, they're experimenting with whales and humans. Who knows? I don't know. I'm just guessing though, but it does seem like it could be USO connected as, as like UFOs are known to be connected with Bigfoot. Right. I mean, this it's a total possibility because, you know, we've explored space. We've explored the earth for the most part, but one of the greatest places we've never really explored that are, we're more aware of is the ocean. Is our own how ocean. Fast this thing is. <laughs> and now with the USOs in there, what are they doing there? Are they using the, getting to the, the center of the earth to use the, the geothermal energy or are they actually using it as an experiment? And what if these creatures that uh, are listed as mermaids are actually not from this planet, but actually come from a different right, yeah, planet, right. you know, that it's a water-based like planet. From- 
Right, like like Saturn or you know one of the one of the farther planets out there. Uh, you know what's underneath all that ice? Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and you know it's really it it people. I try to explain to people that most of these myths and legends that we have today are are experienced in so many cultures globally that have no way of connecting themselves to each other at the time that they were experiences, but they have the same things going on. Case in point, the maps. Uh, when you get into sea uh, uh, charts, there's always these giant squid or octopus. We know that they exist now. There were mermaids and mermen and merpeople. We have sightings of them, but still people don't want to believe in it. So I think there's truth based in a lot of the stuff that you, you that comes down as a legend or a folklore. Um, mm. There's a lot of truth behind it, and as far-reaching as it can be, um, you got to give a little bit of credibility to it because just because we don't think it's real or don't know about unicorns, there very well could be. Um, long before this planet, the stories was, had to come from a stone. Somebody, that's that's right. Right? Yeah, we don't we don't exist in a vacuum. Everything comes from someplace. Uh, um, I begin my book on mermaids, discussing the the San people, S A N people of uh, sub equatorial Africa. Now, at one time, about thirty thousand years ago, uh, the ocean came in pretty far to the point that uh, that particular region was um, a beach area. But now, of course, it's it's nothing but a vast desert. But we can find rock art there to this very day that depicts something that looks remarkably like mermaids. You know, it looks like a human with a fish's tail, but you can see they also have arms as well. So, I mean, what are they making an allusion to? Is this something that they saw, you know, right in the world uh, in front of them? Is, is this the human mind trying to grasp with forces of nature and personify them into something they can relate to and understand you know it's it's hard to say that what they were representing wasn't something that they saw first person that these were early eyewitness accounts of something that we would call mermaids nowadays and uh, it's also interesting because Brian brought up about the idea in Zimbabwe about uh, mermaids actually taking lives uh, at the time, whenever I wrote, wrote the book, uh, there was actually an incident whenever uh, they had to put a construction of a dam on hold until they called in various witch doctors from neighboring tribes oh, yeah. to try to put down the attacks of, uh, of uh, mermaids that were attacking the workers of, on the dam. They actually did something like that, uh, very similar up in, oh gosh, I'm not too sure if it was, it could have been Iceland, and that was for the elves up there, so... That's right. It could yes. have been something. Well, 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 inside the Goblin universe, we like to talk about all these kind of creatures that come from, you know, a possible source, you know, whatever that source may be. But it seems like they right. come from a shared source. So uh, would you, Nina, would you put the mermaid and the fairy under that same type of heading as, you know, elemental creatures? Or how do you see them? How I do you see define them. Right, I see them, okay, well, okay, well, depending on which culture, uh, some seem like they're actual flesh and blood, like that they could come from a different dimension per se, and then there's other cultures that say that they're more spirit-like, uh, like fairy, like fairies, uh -huh. like water nymphs, or, you know, naiads, or undines, you know, stuff like that. 
So right, right, it, it right. really just depends on which culture you're talking about. Yeah, and that's a good point as well, isn't it? That's right, because, you know, in Africa, they're seen almost as a quasi-religious type of creature that, you know, you can work, you know, your faith against these creatures. And as you pointed out in Russia, they're more of a ghostly type of entity. Right, yes. yeah, yeah. They're, they're more like a spirit, you know, that's, that's like yeah. reincarnated and, yeah. That's right, that's right. right. Oh. Um, so, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, okay. I was just going to add, though, about the about the whole map thing. Uh, I came across another story, and it was about uh, a, a Spanish expedition right after Columbus uh, came over to to the Americas, and it was it was in the 1500s, and they uh, there were some Spanish uh, explorers at the time, and they came across these three large island-like. They weren't specifically island islands per se but they were definitely islands as large as an island and they um they were about to draw them out on a map and then once they went back to spain uh another expedition came out to explore the islands and they had disappeared so either those might have been USOs or they could have been those ninjins you know who knows either way it seemed very ominous I just think of the it sirens in the sea, you know? All those sirens on a, on a rock in the middle of nowhere oh, calling yeah. to the sailors and, and dragging them under at that point. But I like the USO oh, connection, you know? Yeah, I, yeah, I think... Go ahead. It was more leading towards, yeah, it was more leading towards USOs or, uh, or something from the USOs that was created and it, like a ninja, you know, uh, large uh, and just just like at the surface, yeah. Right. Yeah, whenever you're talking about these islands that seem to come and go, uh, there's a lot of Celtic references to these, uh, these you know, mysterious islands that appear certain times of the year or maybe certain, you know, every seven years or whatever, and they disappear. But um, uh, whenever I was thinking about Brennan the Navigator, who lived right around 500 A.D., um, it was believed that he actually left Ireland and could have possibly sailed uh, to America, which is, you know, which, which is a fascinating story. And actually worthy of its own radio show, maybe Brian and I, uh, but he reported coming across an island that uh, they um, actually uh, disembarked on, uh, built a fire on, and here it was a living animal of some kind. Oh, my God. Very interesting. Oh, yeah, very interesting tells. I mean, a lot of researchers think that they might have been talking about these large wells that they were encountering in the North Atlantic, but it's very possible they were, you know, they had come across a, a certain type of cryptid uh, that, you know, that we just simply don't have around anymore. Uh, another interesting thing, mermaids, a lot of them have been associated with manatees, you know, sea cows, although I was lucky enough yeah, to see a manatee. That. Um, that's what I was, in St. Augustine, um, whenever I was younger, whenever I was in college, I actually got to see a manatee. And in no way does this appear to be um, a female, an alluring character. Yeah, if you for four months, you're still not going to see it as something that's beguiling or seductive in any way. <laughs> mm -hmm. Or like a seal. Oh, or, yeah, yes. or like a seal or anything like that. Yeah, no, that's no, no. Right. I ain't buying that it's a manatee, dugong, sea cow, whatever. That's a uh, thing. But, um, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 I, I've, I've never bought it. But, but there was a, nut, uh, a Russian naturalist, uh, and, and I'm, I'm trying to remember the dates, but I think it was either in the late 1800s. It could have possibly been as early as the uh, early 1900s. But he documented um, the case of the stellar sea cow, 
which was an amazing animal. I mean, it, it was in the Dugon family, but it, you know, we're talking about a creature of immense size over 20 feet. So it's very possible that the idea of the mermaids is based upon a, you know, an actual animal that no longer exists to this day. That could be possible too. I mean, you know, like I said, they, you know, like Nessie, I've always thought that Nessie came from like a, another dimension, like some something that was from the past, from the dinosaur era, and then you know somehow, some way came. Right. Well, came you know a what, portal. Yeah. See, maybe yeah, that, that, maybe a, a creature like that is right. coming through a, a portal, some kind, right. and being and, seen. And let's touch on this for a little bit, Nina. I, I think the the what you're reasoning here uh, has merit. Um, when we talk about portals, you know, we never discuss the idea of the ocean being a possible uh, link to another world. But if you look at the idea of magic in almost all cultures around the world, uh, water is used as a way to either represent or get in touch with the other world. So is it possible that our oceans could have, you know, ley lines and earth energies associated with it as well? And there may be portals, you know, in, in the on the under under the sea that we are completely overlooking. And that's where creatures like the manatees or creatures like the manatees, creatures like the mermaids and things like the Loch Ness Monster come you know, and go from. So whenever, you know, a, a creature like the Loch Ness Monster could Appears. visit a place like Loch Ness and then disappear, you know, that's the thing. I mean, that's why you don't find remains is because it's only visiting here for a short period of time. Right, yeah, and, you know, ley lines are all over the, uh, on Earth, so why not in the ocean, too? I mean, you know, what's right. stopping that? <laughs> that's right. So, and whenever we talk, the other thing you said about, you know, these undersea objects that people are reporting, like the, uh, they're analogous to the UFOs. Uh, when we think of places that have uh, lake cryptids in them, like Loch Ness or Lake Champlain, there is a plethora of UFO sightings around those areas as well. So something is going on in that particular geographic area. So, you know, whether it's a portal or some sort of earth energy or something that science simply cannot explain, I think it's worth noting that when we talk about um, uh, water cryptids, uh, we're also talking uh, in many instances about, you know, unidentified flying objects or, you know, hauntings of some kind or other paranormal activity. Um, or it could outside. be a recording from the past. Or it could be a recording from the past. So, so yeah, not not necessarily like a, portal, a residual, a a residual type of effect. Haunting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've often said that about the idea of the Thunderbird. You know, people are still seeing Thunderbirds, you know, these giant birds that, you know, have a 20-foot wingspan. Uh, but nobody is going out in the woods and coming across a 20-foot long feather either. You know, that, that <laughs> that's not happening. So is it possible? And I like that idea very much. I like that idea that it, the land itself could be, act like a, a tape recorder and, and hold a residual memory of things that went before well, us. Well, if you think well, about it. Is very no, go ahead, Nina. Oh, okay. Sorry. No, I was just going to say though that the Earth is a very, very old planet. So you, so why not? You know, I'm I'm open to pretty much anything. So I, it could be, you know, things could be just recorded, and uh, it's just the memory that we're, people are seeing. And also, Champ and Nessie, I'm open to the fact that they could also be the same thing. Yes, same I, I've I've often thought about the fact that. Um, because of the, how the depths of the seas, and and it wouldn't be that much for a creature of that size to probably travel from one point to the other. Um, 
very same uh, latitude, longitude, uh, climate, everything. So to go right. in and out of a, yeah. um, the center, let's say, deep within the center of the earth to a warmer climate uh, when the winter comes and then travel through these caverns or whatever is under the oceans um, and come out elsewhere? Sure, why not? I mean, it seems like these places are interconnected. But when you talked about the memory and, and uh, the recordings, what people forget is the ocean has lots of minerals in it. And it's a, you know, there's, there's a metallic feel to it. It's like tape. And, you know, the old cassette tapes. There was things called cassette tapes, kids. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> what before CDs. Um, <laughs> and, yes, it's a magnetic strip that, that makes a recording, and it, you can keep playing it over and over again until the, the, the strip kind of wears out or you get tired of using a pencil to rewind it. But um, these are found, these same materials are found throughout all our oceans, and they could have been recording the past. And a lot of places within these waterways were once land-based. Um, look at the Lake Michigan. They found something that looks pretty much like Stonehenge. It's it's at the bottom of Lake Michigan right now. So I wonder uh, if uh, Lake Champlain and the Loch Ness, I wonder if they have limestone because that's that's a definite trigger for, for recordings too. Limestone. Limestone could be key. Yeah, that, that, that's right. That's very true. You know, I, I've, I've visited both places. Uh, I've been lucky enough to actually one on a, a, a Nessie uh, a search, an expedition. Uh, and the place is riddled with, with uh, a lot of ancient stones. Uh, I'm not sure about the limestone. I know there's a lot of limestone around where I live. Uh, but if it's not limestone, it would be another kind of, uh, you know, sedimentary type. Something of- similar. Exactly. Something similar. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, but uh, uh, speaking of uh, water, though, uh, there's a, a doctor. He's uh, he's uh, um, I believe he might be Japanese. Uh, Doctor Emoto. Has any either one of you heard about uh, this this gentleman? He conducted um, uh, a, a theory into water can react to human consciousness. Has either one of you heard about this before? I might have heard about it, but I've never like really looked into it or how he came about it. Well, well, is this the same guy that, that was kind of making water, um, the waves of water, uh, e- either producing waves and, and receding uh, based off of thought and intention? It, it, off of intention. That's absolutely yeah. the case. Um, he could photograph them. So if somebody was uh, thinking negatively, the uh, the crystallization of the water would pe- would appear uh, different than if somebody was thinking positive or even offering, um, you know, even praying over the water. Right. Which is very, very interesting because what it seems to suggest is that the world around us, even something that is as uh, mundane and taken for granted as water, actually reacts to human thought, which even makes makes it even more interconnected to us. So so let us go a step further. And if that is the case, could mermaids and these kind of things actually be tulpas, something that is created by our thought process? So uh, That's possible too. Yeah. Um, th- this is a big theory oh. about uh, most cryptids now. A lot of people say that, uh, that you manifest the cryptid uh, within yourself and what you want to – what you're thinking of, your thought process, is what you're going to get. So when you come across a Bigfoot, let's say, or a Sasquatch, you're actually manifesting that creature to be existing. It doesn't right, really right. exist. Um, 
Right, I, like yeah. like if someone's hunting or something in the in the forest or whatever one day, and you come across them, and you think that, and you know, and they're like really tall or something, you know, you're gonna think that you know it could be a bigfoot, and you're gonna run away, but you never saw that it was an actual guy or something, you know, trying to just you know get get a rabbit or something. Yeah. Yes, that's what. <laughs> yeah, but, but but about mermaids though is if uh, maybe at one time they did exist, or there was this false perception they existed, uh, and you know, as it's passed. Down the story after story, and people go out to sea and they think they're going to, uh, you know, encounter a mermaid. Is it possible that our thought process is actually manifesting such a creature in the waters? Yeah, that's possible, but but then at the same time, there are so many. I mean, there are even in Africa these legends, you know, of, of underwater mermaids and what they look like and they're all different kinds all different forms and i mean there's got to be some source for the reason why they're uh they're saying you're not buying it you're you're not buying it (laughs) you think you you think that mermaids are legitimate correct i mean i mean look this is the goblin universe we're talking about here you know i believe these kind of things exist too but nina you would say in your own personal opinion that you feel mm-hmm. that there is a there is an actual honest to goodness flesh and blood mermaid out there someplace. I don't necessarily think flesh and blood, but mm-hmm. possibly a spirit or some sort of a some sort of fairy like creature that could be out there. Perfect, perfect. So, so the the idea of the fairy realm, and this is what we're going to talk about next. I think is because, um, you know, paracelsus. When we think of the idea of alchemy, uh, the mermaid uh, had a very important role in the al- uh, alchemical uh, outlook because they represented the watery realm. These were one of the intelligences that occupied that particular, uh, um, you know, domain of nature. So, to the alchemist, you know, there was nothing wrong. With the idea that a fairy and a uh, or a mermaid was a fairy creature that actually occupied that particular, you know, part of the world. Right. Yeah. And also the kelpie, which uh, which is also a, a water spirit, and it it mostly manifests itself as a horse or a, like a very large horse or very large Pegasus, and comes out of the water. It's normally seen around. Ireland, Scotland, mostly Ireland, though, the shores on off of Ireland, and uh, it, it, it's crazy. <laughs> it, it can kill you. Yeah, they're really dangerous. They can kill you if you if you even like look at them. You know, if you if you make eye contact with them, die. But then at the same time, how would anyone know about this creature? Because you know, just if they're dead. <laughs> well, that's right. That's these are all the legends, and and some of it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think people can make up some of these fairy tales and fables and myths and legends from their own, you know, imagination. Uh, the human imagination is, is best, but uh, most of these things that are made up are based on some past experience with something. Um, and and you know what? I mean, I always thought of the sea kelpie as like this gigantic seahorse. Um, like, you know, the typical right. SC horses that you would see in the ocean, but like, think of that like a billion times bigger. Um, we, we don't know. I mean, there's the problem we have is, as on the scientific side of everything that we do is where the, where's the evidence, where's the bones, where's the proof. Um, well, if something like that did exist on, if something like that did exist, honestly, um, the part of that legend 
if you if you would look at them, you die. It was probably just to scare little kids at night. You know, don't go out. You know, <laughs> doors. Don't go out. You know, late at night, in the middle right, of the night, and that's right. Don't you get know, too close to and the go water, swimming. Sedge. Right, right, exactly, exactly. But, but uh, that would be okay for a particular culture. But that boogeyman continues into the 21st century yes, because people are still are still seeing this thing. So I think there's more to it than just a a fable to keep kids away from drowning in the local watering area. You know, there's something more to the story. Right. Uh, you know, I do like your point, and I think that's very uh, uh, intelligent look at the world that we're trying to, you know, peer into. But that doesn't completely explain why in the 21st century people are still seeing these things. Probably because they still exist. Who knows? <laughs> that's that's right. That's right. Uh, and which is the reason why we have you on our program at this very hour is because, you know, we kind of want to figure out uh, – how people are perceiving these things even today, but they're um, uh, they're very benign now. They're they're the things that little girls, uh, you know, have as plush animals and taking them to bed with them. Um, but when we look at the ancient Greeks, like Homer, he had you know this great uh, piece about the the mermaids in right, the, uh, the Odyssey. In yeah. The Odyssey, right? Whenever Odysseus mm-hmm. wants to, he wants to hear the siren song. You know, I think that that's the thing that every man wants to hear the song, but in hearing it, they know that they're going to be crashed on the rocks. This is not going to be a good thing. So, you know, Odysseus has himself uh, tied to the to the mast of the ship while his men, the the fellow sailors, stuff wax in their ears so they can't hear yeah. the song. So he's able to, you know, basically, uh, you know, get off on the, on the sound of the, the mermaid singing. Uh, and that's another really interesting part of this tale as, as well, which really gives it more credence, is because it's, it's, it starts having corroborating evidence. You know, it's now existing as something that vocalizes. human level. Yes, that's right. That, uh-huh, that's, uh-huh. that's right. That's right. It strikes a chord with us, you know. Yeah, it can relate to us now. That's that's right. Relate to us now, uh-huh. and and that makes it uh, not only even more seductive, but it also makes it a little bit more frightening as well. And honestly, when it comes to sirens, I mean, yeah, sure, they can sing and everything, but I, I'm pretty convinced though that when someone is on a ship and they're sailing around the rocks to begin with, they're not really paying attention to what they're doing because they're all distracted by the mermaids. So <laughs> of course they're gonna, you know, crash up against the rocks and everything, and then they blame the sirens for you know their own fault. So you know, I I can only I I see both sides, right? That's right. <laughs> But these great uh, pre-Raphaelite painters, you know, that they have these great, uh, you know, these great portraits of uh, mermaids, uh, you know, swimming around uh, sunken ships or, you know, that they, they're they uh, pulling sailors out of their, 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 their oh, depths. Oh, gosh. The, you know? the, mermaid, the mermaid paintings. Oh, gosh. You can even find mermaid artwork on my Facebook page. Oh, my gosh. I am so... I am so incredibly into all that underwater, you know, or, or the like, beach scene with them on, uh, combing their hair. Oh, my gosh. My favorite painting, though, has got to be, it's called A Mermaid. And she's on the on the rocky shore, and she's combing her long red hair. And it's, it's just great. 
<laughs> that's right. It, it, it resembles you slightly, doesn't it? So it, it, Oh, yeah, I, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that uh, one. And there was another one, too, we were talking about. It was, uh, oh, gosh, I forgot what it was called, though. But she she was an actual siren. And she was uh, she was singing. She was calling out. Uh, oh, gosh. That one, that second one, definitely looks like me. If anyone's interested in looking at that, looking at these paintings, just go to my Facebook page. It's Nina Marie Camarina. I, it's just my full name. And it'll pop up. That's right. Now, do you, as an artist, you have paintings on mermaids as well, too, correct? Oh yeah, definitely. I've done I've done silhouette paintings of them. Oh, I do all acrylics. Too. I'm a painter mostly. That's my medium, and uh, it's just it's just a lot of fun. And uh, let's see. Yeah, I have I have a few paintings of of mermaids. I I just haven't been inspired lately. <laughs> and uh, a lot of you need a muse, yeah. don't you? Yeah, you you, oh, you sorry, need what? a muse. You need a muse. Can women have a muse? Uh, my muse normally is um, like nature or right. Uh, right. or or stories. That's why I like to read a lot too. I get I, like I get the pictures in my head and like I just gotta you know bring them out on the canvas. And I a normal painting for me will just take like about two to three hours at the most to make. Because it's just, I'm just like frantic. I just have to get it out. And like, no one interrupt me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But our listeners inside of the Goblin Universe, if they want to get a, a Nina Marie Camarina original acrylic, they can contact you, correct? And you, you will sell these things? Yeah, I've sold actually quite a bit, honestly. I mean, I, I lost count, but, you know, I, it's you, been a couple of years now that I've been I've been selling my uh, paintings. Yeah, I, I normally charge by like the... Uh, you can just contact me on on Instagram, Twitter, uh, and Facebook. And we're, we're going to put all that information up on our Inside the Goblin Universe Facebook group. So you'll be able to go directly yeah. and contact Nina and, and get your paintings. Yeah. Um, be the first on your block yes. to own a mermaid painting painted <laughs> by an actual mermaid. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I normally charge by like... Um, how long it takes really that or I don't know it depends uh some of them it's normally the size it's been mostly the size lately as opposed to how long it takes because they always take about two to three hours though I was kind of starting it out charging by the by the hours but now it's mostly the size so right 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 and you are talking yeah, about paintings correct yes genuine paintings <laughs> yes <laughs> just to clarify that right there yes. just want to let the inside the goblin <laughs> well everybody in, inside the goblin good. universe is a little uh you know they're in the rabbit hole so things can be miscued but just a tad that's right that's right we don't want to have the, the, the feds come and shut us down yes. um we're so selling paintings that's all we're selling <laughs> that's right so nina you're based out of california right yeah, I am. Yeah, in the Sierras. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you're far away from the ocean. Uh, well, I'm around lakes, mountains, and just just west of us. Wait. Yeah. Well, wait. Something like that. It's Monterey. We're we're like we're in the Central Valley, and uh, we just hop across California, and we're in Monterey. So well, honestly, Monterey nice. has got yeah. That's a great nice. spot yeah, to actually almost, catch some mermaids if you really want to go looking for them. 
Or you could catch me just, you know, on yes. a photo shoot one day and they're all like, oh, is that a real mermaid? And I'm like, maybe. No. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, do, you, do you believe that mermaids are capable of uh, leaving the ocean and shape-shifting into a uh, bipedal creature and assimilating into the world of the, the landlubber and returning back to the ocean? I know some legends do incorporate that as part of the, part of the mythos. Yeah, mostly. Yeah, mostly. The Celtic legends, uh, uh, okay, well, that's really funny, though, that you mentioned that, because with the Celtic legends, and I'm, I'm Celtic also, so that's why that's why I, I refer back to it. Yeah, the, the rock hair kind of gives that away. Uh-huh, yeah, I know, I know, I have I have light auburn hair, so just letting everyone know that. <laughs> so, anyways, um, well, uh, uh, if you, okay, well, let's see here. The legends of the morrow. If a man really fell in love with a mermaid, and she was where she would be wearing sort of like a red cap, and if he stole that red cap from her and he hid it, she would have to uh, be completely turned into a human, and that would give him the incentive to to be able to marry her. And uh, and she would never be able to return back to her watery realm. Right, and oh. there's a lot of uh, stories so, where where the the, the the but it's an an a happy marriage, isn't it? The, yes. the Morrow always wants to return to the ocean, even if she has children. She knows that her place is not with this guy that you know has held her captive. Well, what am right. I? Right, yeah, she's more of a prisoner. One of my questions is: so when this happened, she comes from. Uh, a, a, a family of, or a, a collective of other mer people, or, or creatures mm. of the like. What happens when that happens to one of the, the members of the group? Do these other creatures seek out to bring that person back, or that creature back to the, you know, the, the ocean? And will they go and take well, revenge? I'd on imagine. That? Uh, sometimes they have taken revenge, yes, uh, but a lot of times. Okay, I don't know. I okay. It, let's it, I'm just gonna it, say it. All right. They God. they probably spawn. All right. So they're gonna have like a lot of eggs, and I highly doubt that one of their kids would be missed because they got a lot. So right. I have never, yeah. So give one, That's get one. Like, oh gosh, how am I gonna say this? That's right. So, yeah. so, so like salmon. Yes. They just spawn, lay their eggs, and, you know, be what may. But you know what, though, Nina? There's stories, though, from the Celtic region that states that um, the, one of the reasons why the, the mermaid wants to return so badly is because she does have a family out in the ocean that this guy on land has been keeping her from. Right, yeah, and she feels like a captive, and she's in a jail, basically. And, that's and right. that's, it's not her home. It's not her true home. I mean, you know, in, in the stories and the legends and everything, they uh, – they say that they will come on to land, but it's mostly like a curiosity sort of thing. And they just want to, you know, like see what another realm is like. And then they try to go back. Right. But, but uh, yeah. other than that, yeah, these, they, these they usually always go back. Don't you find these stories, though, very empowering for women, though? Again, you know, the idea that um, a, a woman is, is held captive by a man and this longing and desire to be um, back in the ocean and into that 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 freedom, 
don't you think that this is you know a microcosm of the way women define themselves in relation to a male-dominated society? Honestly, I just I just know about the legends. You I just don't go really... with the flow. I, but, but, yeah, but, I don't really but, think about it honestly. Yeah, but, but but you know I don't look too much from, into them. You don't you. So so you do not see a social commentary uh, within the fabric of of the. Well, I mean, books. now that you mention, I mean, now that you mention, <laughs> I mean, you know, some of the some of the authors of these stories could be a little biased. You know, maybe maybe some of them were written a long time ago from mostly women. You know, I don't know, but uh, right. but um, yeah, that's uh, but as far as. But as Go far ahead. as I know, though, that yeah, as far as I know, though, I I wouldn't really look too much into, into a, uh, yeah, it, it, that far into it. Though. It's just <laughs> it's just according to them, what happened? You know, it's it. it's that romance that we get from these creatures that whether the way they presented through literature and from movies, and, you know, it's that mystique and there's something about it that you you kind of fall in love with these uh, the idea and the concept and the you know the, there's a great it's love, falling in love with the idea of love is fantastic experiencing love is amazing uh, but there's you know with every good thing there's always a bad thing and mm-hmm. there are bad aspects to everything but I like the fact where you're going with this Ron that this does empower mostly a female based uh, creature or what we perceive as female you know, I don't know how it works in the cryptid world in, regarding to mermaids, um, and it does empower them. I mean, these are stor- these aren't they're not just fish. They're not just goldfish. You get like a, you know a hundred for a dollar. Uh, I like goldfish. <laughs> no, goldfish are great, but you know when you're talking about a mer- merman or mer mer person, this is like the hunter of the sea. This these things right. go after sharks and whales, and they have to coexist in a very rough climate uh, between right. weather changes. I mean. Look at it right now. I'm surprised we're not seeing more and more of these strange oddities because of the Fukushima radiation that has been polluted the Pacific at this point. Um, I'm sure they all went into. I'm sure they went all into their human form, and when that happened, and everything and went back on land. Sorry, I don't know. <laughs> well, that very well could be, or they can just be, you know, hiding out deeper in, in the ocean um, away well, also, from. Uh, Oh well, I was going to mention though a lot of times too. Like back to uh, the the comment though that it's it's kind of woman empowering. Well, the thing is though is that the the males can't really change their form and come onto land. It's the females that can only right. do that. The males the males are more fish like and they have tentacles. So and they're bound to they're, the sea. Yeah, and they're very ugly. much so. And they're ugly, right? Yes. Yeah, and, yeah, and they're yeah. not quite as beautiful, you know. Yeah. No, no, so no. This, it's, the, it's the female. Yeah. yeah. So, so part of it is a a man's fantasy to come across <laughs> a a a a beautiful woman, you know, bearing it all out, you know. But there's also something very dangerous because you're not from her world, and you would drown. Uh, if you know you would consummate this relationship with a the creature, they so can't transform. It, it, yeah, they can't yeah, transform you though. Well, but then you'd have to become really ugly. That's <laughs> uh, <so, laughs> right, right. So, um, um, 
do you think uh, now let's get into the biology of these creatures do you think these things are uh, air breathing animals or do you think that they have gills what do you think their their makeup is in order for survival of the ocean yeah they probably have gills behind their ears uh the, the rib cage who knows but uh uh and they i would imagine that they're more fish-like more creature-like than than humanoids well, you know, right, there, so, there are creatures, there there are fish that, that can come out of and live well long in, in oxygen without having to go back in the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of, uh, from China, we, they have a couple of um, areas in, in the country where the, the ponds are being polluted by, I forgot the name of the fish, but it can survive on the land and that's the problem with it. It will literally travel the land and go from pond to pond. So they're having a hard time. Oh, that sounds pond. more like an, amp- an, an amphibian. Right, yeah. but well, yeah. Like, with that premise, I mean, mer people can probably come onto the surface. I mean, it, we always see them above the above the waterline, looking around and, and hanging out there, or you know, the the quintessential of them on the beach, sunning themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, sure, on a rock. Exactly. Yeah. That, that a great point. If these things were not air breathing animals, then we wouldn't see them at all, would we? I mean, the reason why people on um, on ships were able to see them, or you know, the 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 quintessential mermaid combing its hair on a rock, uh, lends to some sort of assumption that these things are air breathing animals. I think they could be. Uh, well, some of the stories say that at certain times of their life, they can come up on land. And once they hit the air, they can become more human-like. But when they're in the watery abyss of theirs, they are more fish-like, which I'm sure they have to be, though. I mean, the, considering the environment. That's, that's right. Um, what about the Jenny Hanover? Are you familiar with that term? Yeah, it's oh, it's yeah. That's that's another Celtic legend, though. Um, is that the one where she's like a? She's like washing her clothes, and she's kind of like more like a watery sort of goblin. And well, no, she's spotted Je- washing her clothes. Uh, the Jenny Hanover is kind of like the souvenir. That was whenever you took a monkey and you would sew a fish's tail onto it, or take some sort of skate and open it up and make it in looking like a very humanoid creature. Um, that was very popular in the in the sixteen seventeen. Oh, okay, yeah, like that, the, that, like the carnival sort of sort of the, the gaps. Okay. That's right. That's right. That's right. right. I was always fascinated by uh, by these things because uh, P. T. Barnum really made a name for himself by displaying the Fiji mermaid, which was basically uh, a monkey with a I believe it was like a mackerel tail. Uh, kind of uh, sewn onto it, expertly done, but still, you know, a gaff nonetheless. But people are easily fooled uh, because they want to believe that mermaids exist. Yeah. And this was kind of like proof that they were out there. Yeah, but it so, was all a gag, and it was just for money. <laughs> so, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, if you, ever, yeah, if you ever had a mermaid, you know, you could make a ton of money on it if people would believe you, and, and if the government wouldn't just take it from you because – they don't want this to come out as real either, you know. If if it, if yeah. I, and I believe there's some truth in this, so so I'm not saying that you could go out and see a mermaid every day and what have you. Although there have I think been it's right sightings up there with lately. like an alien. Yes, but I, I think mean, it's right up there with aliens. For it them. is something. It's so foreign and so bizarre that if someone were to have proof of a, a live mer person, um, that they, they, they wouldn't get too far with it. So you know. But it'd be pretty oh, interesting to see. 
That's right. Even though that show on, uh, I think it was on Animal Planet, was all, you know, a fake, uh, or most of it was a fake. There was some legitimate research that was done on there and kind of threw it in okay, there. Okay, yeah. I, yeah. I got a question, though. Okay. What? Okay, there were two specific things that I still remember from that thing uh, that were that were really strange. How did they find the those cave paintings and the the weapons, too, those artifacts, those weapons that... Supposedly the mer people made. Well, the artifacts were were just simply Hollywood. That was all a lie. But what they did was they expertly mixed it in there with uh, factual research. So the cave paintings is what I alluded to earlier. That's from the sand people in Africa. Those are actually legitimate paintings. You can Google them right now if you want to take yes. a look at them. Yeah, those, those are legitimate. So yeah, what what these people did was essentially make a 21st century version of a Jenny Hanover. You know, somebody wanted to believe in a mermaid, so they slap something together and make it look like a mermaid. Uh, you know, so uh, whenever P.T. Barnum said there was a sucker born every minute, uh, the reason why he said that is because people naturally want to believe this stuff, and there's very unscru- unscrupulous people out there that will give the public what they want, even though it's a lie. Right, yeah, and some people are just going to do whatever it takes just to make their fantasies come true. <laughs> well, you know, say. on top of that, in, in, in what is it, in the 90s, that late 90s, there was the bloop, and that bloop was heard uh, across the Pacific. Oh, yeah. And that's basically the, the premise, well, um, they say that they proved it wasn't a sea monster or a mermaid or what have you, but that was that was part of the what took place in, in that mermaid uh, special they had on TV where they... They have literally like like two minutes worth of, of mermaid footage, and they built a show around it. But there's plenty of footage if you search YouTube right now of captains, you know, people picking up mermaids from fishing nets. Um, you know, what's what's to say it wasn't real? I mean, everything today is oh that's CGI that was fake, or the captain will say it's fake because he's being ridiculed by everybody. He's never going to get another job again, but. You know, if you talk to some people, some people say they see dragons today. Um, what's to say the bloop wasn't uh, mer people down there doing their thing? That's right. It could right. have been, honestly, it could have been those ninja things that are connected to the USOs. That could have been it because it was just not long after those things were discovered. So, well, and they, if I remember my facts correctly, they have a vocal. Uh, vocal, how do you say it? Um, a vocalization. So, right, yeah. And it, it's like a whale. They're like a whale, just humanoid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, what you've done with us today, Nina, and I'm so glad that you came on the show as we're going into the waning minutes now of Inside the Goblin Universe, but but you really started to make me wonder now about the idea of these creatures being associated with uh, with the uh, the world of the extraterrestrial, which I really had never considered before, but I think that that's something as a researcher I'm going to look into more and more. Yeah, it's it's definitely open to discussion also. Gosh, it's just, it's just uh, well... I really got interested in USOs being connected to strange underwater creatures because of the Bigfoot sightings with the which would normally correspond with the USOs. Or UFOs, I'm sorry. UFOs. And they they were always kind of together. So I thought maybe USOs could also be connected to you know underwater 
large creatures, who knows? And and that's just kind of where I took it afterwards. <laughs> right. Well, no, I, th- I think it's a great idea. It's a great mm-hmm. theory. I mean, I really wish we had a ship we can go in the Goblin universe and, and go uh, deep sea hunting. Um, not necessarily to kill anything. But Late at to, night, in the middle of the night. <laughs> perpl- you know, in it's the middle perplexing. of the night, when it's the scariest. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. See, see, I love the ocean, but I am terrified of anything that has depth to it. Um, I, I could not imagine swimming someplace whenever you look down and all you see is darkness. I mean, one of the one of the scariest things to me is to imagine if you're on a boat and there's seven miles of water below you. I see it. I'm out of this, guys. Only you know, seven? You back. Only seven. <laughs> I, I've yeah, got a many me cruises back, like guys. that. You know, when you take a uh, cruise, even though you're in the shipping lanes, it's pretty damn deep over there. And, oh, you know, oh, yeah. tell, oh, it's it's pretty sorry, scary. About, you're surrounded by a ton of water, and you don't know what the heck's going to be grabbing at you. Well, let me tell you, though, about Monterey. It's just a little bit out uh, on the, the coast, the, and then all of a sudden it just drops down hundreds and hundreds of miles into this deep trench. And yeah, that's that's just right outside of the Monterey uh, coast. Yep. (laughs) So that's why I said only seven miles. Wow. (laughs) Well, you know, I I don't see any reason to suspect then that uh, on some uh, dark night that from that abyss, a mermaid rises and and possibly uh, breaks the water and looks at the lights of Monterey and wonders what's going on. Or a giant squid, or uh, oh, there's California greys out there too. Oh my gosh, those are amazing. A megalodon. A megalodon would be megalodon. Um. Oh, let's see. Probably, who knows? That that thing's huge. So uh, it's probably got everything. (laughs) When we have Steve Alton on, he's coming up soon. uh, We'll ask about megalodon. That's right. You know, the author of the book, Meg, yep. and uh, also The Lock. He, it's going to be a very interesting uh, interview, and that's coming on in just a few sh- short weeks. I'm really excited yes, about that is. as well. That's going to be fantastic. That's a definite must-listen. <laughs> it's a must-listen. That's right. So let me ask you, Nina. Did you have fun stepping inside the Goblin Universe with us tonight? I highly recommend it for anybody that is interested in cryptids or anything strange. And yes, I loved it. I really did. Well, I'm I'm glad. And I'm gonna miss us. I'm gonna miss us. Okay, that's that's the most. I'm I'm gonna miss definitely. That's like number one for me. All right, I'm being here. I instantly uh, was mesmerized by your siren song uh, whenever I heard you as a call-in uh, on the other radio show, and I thought, this is a person that I must get to know, and I'm glad that I'm starting to know you more and more, and I was quite honored that you paid us a visit on Inside the Goblin Universe tonight there. Not right? a problem. It was my pleasure, definitely, yes. And, and uh, oh gosh, we didn't get to go into uh, Human Mermaids. Uh, are they real? Do they exist? And am I one of them? <laughs> we can actually we'll, we'll schedule that for a different time and a different show. And we'd love to have you back on the Inside the Goblin Universe eventually soon. I would love to be back. Awesome. Yes, yes oh, definitely. That would be awesome. That's what we'll talk about next time. We'll talk about uh, the, the human mermaid, okay? Yep. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're about seconds away from being out of time, Ron. Oh, man. Okay. Well, oh. you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll have to say goodbye to you, Nina. And I thank you Bye. for coming inside the Goblin Universe with us tonight. And, uh, well, I'm one of your hosts. My name is Ronald Murphy. I'm Brian Bowden. I am not a mermaid, but I am the other host. Uh, so, so put on your life jackets and, uh, and, and stay dry tonight, guys.
On Vampires, the latest book from Ronald Murphy. Join cryptozoologist and folklorist Ronald Murphy as he journeys through history in his quest to uncover the impetus for the archetype of the vampire. Begin at the land of cannibals and travel throughout the dawn of history, exploring images and involving ideas of the vampire. Trace these concepts all the way to the information age. Keep a state close by. You're going to need it. On Vampires is now available at Amazon.com.